Welcome to Beer Me. I am your host, Sarah Jane. Every episode, I will have guests on the show to discuss different parts of the beer world, from brewers, importers, educators. This will allow us to examine the dynamic world of beer through different lenses. Whether you're new to beer or a seasoned professional, we will have something for you. So I'm very excited for the show today. We have three, not one, but three guests. Uh, Josh Schlesinger, he is the head of sales and distribution for Bissell Brothers Brewing Company. Matt Monahan, the founder and CEO of Other Half Brewing. And Blake Tires, a founding member of Creature Comforts and currently the senior director of Curiosity. By far and away, one of my favorite titles I have seen yet. Gentlemen, thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having us. Thank you. So before we dive into our conversation, I want to first and foremost acknowledge where we are. We are not staring into little blocks of Zoom recordings. We are live, in person, inhuman, as they say, at Snallagaster. In the elements. In the elements. Because though we are at Snallagaster and our spirits are high, it is cloudy, uh, rainy, a little chilly, um, but we are on Pennsylvania Avenue. Uh, listeners, for those who are not familiar, Snallagaster is one of the largest and most intricate craft beer festivals in the U.S. Uh, this is in its 11th year. This year, there are over 350 beers, over 175 producers. This is the largest annual fundraiser for the Arcadia Center for Sustainable Food and Agriculture. And we are live. So let's make all the mistakes. We'll say all the bad words. Let's go. Yeah? Let's Here go. for it. Yep. Who's getting canceled? There we go. <laughs> um, all right. So the reason why I selected the three of you to be on the show today is because you are staring down the bullet of celebrating 10 whole years in business. And I thought, who better to discuss their hopes and dreams for the future of all American craft beer than these three individuals. So thank you all very much. So how are you feeling as you're heading into your decade celebration for your brewery? Who wants to get that off? I'll jump on it. Please yes. do, yeah. Just because uh, <laughs> I'll get it out. You know, I'll get it out. Um, <laughs> 10 years, it's been crazy. Um, I think... I don't know. It's um, a lot has changed over the course of the 10 years. Um, and not only with who we are and what we're trying to do, but also with the beer industry in general and also who we're reaching, like who our consumers are. Um, I think it's more difficult now because there's a lot of reasons. There's a lot more options for people to drink out there, but also because there's a lot more people that are touching beer than the early adopter nerd person that does a lot of the work for you um, where they come and they know everything about your product and they want to do everything. I think we have a lot more people now who just realize they like drinking tasty beer, but they don't necessarily want to sit on, you know, Instagram or Google and learn everything about every brewery anymore. And that's totally great. Um, but it means that we've got to adapt. And I think there's a certain level of uh, maturity to the market and to the producer side and the breweries that we're all kind of learning. Uh, we got to run good businesses. We got to be good stewards of the people that work for us and the culture we create and try to be uh, good for the industry at large, be good representatives of uh, making beer, you know, and it's, it's not just a party. We like to have good time, but I mean, I love beer because it brings people together. 
And um, I think trying to figure out ways to, you know, do that. And over the course of 10 years, we've, we've been able to kind of, you know, learn our lessons and keep moving on. And every year is a new challenge. And uh, it just seems kind of crazy to say we've been doing it for 10 years. But um, anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm wandering off here in this trail. But No, no, I love it. You're taking us on a really magical journey here. Um, <laughs> yeah, but, but it's, it's, it's exciting to be rounding out 10 years for sure. Yeah, it's a massive accomplishment. And for, for listeners who maybe aren't familiar, Creature Comforts Brewing uh, is founded in Athens, Georgia. They have two locations. Uh, you have another one in L.A. Or is we that just opened route? up L.A. and we're okay. about to celebrate our grand opening on, I think, the 28th is a Saturday. It's, you know, the Halloween weekend will mm-hmm. be our grand opening out there. Nice. Well, congratulations Thank on you. that as well. And, you know, you mentioned kind of being a steward of community. That's something we've talked a lot about on the show. And, you know... You all are actually a B Corp certified organization. Uh, so can you take our listeners through kind of why that is significant, why that's such a, a challenging thing? Yeah, sure. So, the, um, you know, for us, we wanted something that was kind of uh, in the sand, if you will, or written down that was kind of a guiding light for us to how we want to be as a, as a brewery, as a company. Um, B Corp was something we found that was independent of us, is independent of beer, um, and it really is difficult. Um, they focus uh, on community, culture, um, your like internal, your people, and the environment. And um, they really grill you on like you go, you have this checkbook of things, of ways to get points to get certified as B Corps. And then even once you become certified B Corps, you get reevaluated, and you can't just coast. You have to improve, so your score has to go up. Um, and for us, it's been really important to be able to say that these things are important to us. And when then we sit in a meeting and we talk about sustainability goals and how we're going to change our carbon footprint, we know that everyone's behind it and how we want to treat our employees well and treat the community well. Um, and it's something that we can point to that's not just uh, us saying, like, trust us, we're doing good things, but um, actually gives us... Uh, um, a rubric on how we need to be improving. And so that was something we jumped into um, a lot of help from the University of Georgia as well to, um, you know, they, they helped us realize what we were missing and where we could improve to be able to get that B Corps certification. So we jumped onto that. And um, now it's something I pay attention to even just as a shopper. If I'm buying deodorant or something, I try to find a B Corps company. It's just nice to know where my dollars are going. Please tell me about a B Corps deodorant company. <laughs> Put me on the spot. Uh, I think I think Tom's is B Corps. Yeah, I think so. Um, and if he can't find it, he just stops wearing deodorant. <laughs> Don't get too close. No, that's amazing. And you know, I think that you're seeing more and more. Um, you know, I mean, breweries have always been stewards of the community, but you're seeing more and more where breweries are making an effort to kind of bring that uh, official uh, certification on whether it's B Corp, you know, sustainably certified or organic or anything like that. So that's really awesome. Yeah, there's some um, hops, like Crosby Hops is B Corp. We know we've worked with some malt suppliers are also B Corp. Um, and we've done collaborations with other breweries now that are B Corp. So it's just like a different world to for us to explore. And um, we've really taken it to heart. And now we have a group of people that focus on it to kind of keep us honest in that world and keep improving. Uh, we had a person that got this to the certification. We, we called her our beekeeper. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a whole bunch of uh, cheesy uh, bee puns that come along with the bee core, but it was, it was a good time. And um, yeah, now I'm really proud of the work we're doing in that world. It's great. That's awesome. Matt, how are you feeling about celebrating your 10 years? 
you you all and 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 for listeners who are not familiar maybe uh other half brewing uh was founded in brooklyn uh but they currently have spaces throughout new york city dc philly finger lakes buffalo and just a phenomenal organization and uh apparently also chicago coming up as well yeah we're we're uh we're on to an eighth location um called the Ramova Theater. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so it's other half Ramova. It's a, a 2,000 capacity uh, live music venue uh, in the Bridgeport neighborhood of Chicago that has a, a built-in restaurant. Um, the theater was built in 1929. Uh, it's taken about four and a half years to get it get it going. Uh, we're, a, we're a minority partner in that, but we're in charge of the whole brewery that's in there. Um, so su- super excited about that. Uh, oh, hopefully opening end of this year. So the brewery itself, and I'm reading directly from your website, uh, you wanted to represent the other half of the industry. Do you feel like, you know, moving forward, that is still, you know, an ethos that's really important to you? Yeah, I mean, when we started, I, I think you could sort of, the industry, when you use the word industry, it wasn't the same thing. It doesn't mean the same thing that it does now. Yeah. Um, you know, you're looking around at, at the festival like this, like Snallygaster, like th- this is the industry. Um, and now I think we're all we're all in, in the way we think about it. We're all the other half at this point. Um, just people interested in drinking quality things from places they could actually visit, people they could actually meet. Um, you know, and, and and sort of like feel in first person the, the passion behind the product, and not just have it be you know a choice on a on a shelf. Uh, there was just a, a lot more. There's a lot more to it now, um, and I think it's that's that's the uh, that's the norm. I think now. Less, very much less so when we when we first started. Yeah, I think, and and we, we can get into this a little bit more. I mean, there's more of a draw for breweries to have a brand dedication, right? There's such a massive pool of producers that are producing quality, and whereas ten years ago quality was still a little bit of a struggle, consistency was still a little bit of a struggle. That is less and less and less, and now you have to stand out with storytelling and guest experience and pillars uh, traditionally found in restaurant bars and you know more traditional hospitality environments, and you know making sure that somebody has that connection, whether it be through you know B Corps certification or otherwise, you know, kind of drawing them in. Yeah, I mean, we you know we we learned a lot actually from from Creature. I mean, they sort of pioneered a lot of those like cultural initiatives and, and community engagement and, and things like that. And, you know, and a lot of our back office has been in communication with them for years about, you know, how to be better at being a business, you know, because you're, you are a part of your community. I think that's, that's, uh, that's just what it is now. Um, you know, as celebrating 10 years, we feel like it's just become a lot more business focused and so the challenge now is to stay relevant in your own community, stay relevant in your industry by being either interesting or, you know, creating experiences for people that make them want to return. You know, um, I don't think it matters anymore how much beer you make. It's sort of like what role do you play in the city where you do business? You know, are people proud to, to say like, oh, yeah, you're, at, you know, Bissell's in, is, is my home spot, you know? Like creatures, my spot like that, that matters, you know, and I think that's in the back of all of our heads whenever we're making decisions and sort of our focus at other half, you know, moving forward is just, you know, be, I don't know, just, you got to want to go there. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, it would be devastating living, living in Alexander, Virginia, not to be extra proud to go to Port City. Sure. 
many occasions. Exactly. Everybody's got their spot, you yeah. know, and that, that, uh, it took us, it's taken 10 years for this industry, I think, to get to that point, really. And, and then say, oh, the beer is also really good too. Yeah. Because everybody makes really good beer. Yeah, for sure. So, Josh, uh, coming to us from Bissell Brothers, and for listeners who maybe aren't familiar, uh, they were founded in Portland, Maine, uh, but they do have another location, uh, Bissell Brothers Three Rivers in Milo. 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 Yep. I knew it. I knew I was going to say Milo, and Milo. then you were going to be like, Milo. <laughs> this is like, you know, the Appalachia, Appalachia conversation, same, same. Um, but you have a absolutely stunning space, really welcoming vibe. Thank you. Um, how are you feeling looking at it 10 years? Uh... I, uh, a great place to admit that I'm kind of at a loss for words to, to sort of describe what, what the past 10 years has looked like because it's just the industry has changed so much and um, the consumers have changed so much and your recognition of, of sort of steering the ship to, <laughs> to, to always kind of capture um, that next wave of consumers is... Oh, are we good? Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, is is just a is a forever challenge, and the and the landscape of Maine is unique in the sense that, I mean, I'm sure we all try to take care of our home market first, but the home market in Maine is a giant state, and there's only a little over a million people that live there. So you sort so you sort of have to make concession not concession that's the wrong way to put it, but you have to figure out what. How do we how do we take care of Maine, balance the seasonality of summer and winter, and then figure out a way to move the rest of the beer either throughout the country or the world or curb production? Um, and over time, over the past ten years, we've only you know it just it, it's forcing the hand of change. So I think I for me at least I spend a lot of time sitting around thinking about um, how to, how to make peace with change. I think as just human beings, I think that's a, I think that's tough for a lot of people. And when you've got an entire staff that are dealing with it and, and the company itself trying to reconcile change in general, um, I don't know. It just, it, it, it forces you to really honestly, um, act with intention. So, um, yeah, I don't know for, for the, the past 10 years, it's, I think everyone on this panel has, has had a pretty sweet ride the past 10 years. Um, you know, uh, we we have a lot of built-in traffic in Maine. People come to the state, and they they do keep coming. Um, so it's not like we're seeing a, a very sort of noticeable dip or anything that we sort of do need to, like, kind of go out of our way to either change or manipulate or feel like we need, we're, we're lagging here, there, whatever. Um, so it's, it's, um, yeah, I, 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 I think I told you there on the onset of this, I was like, oh, I might get a little cynical. Um, but I, but I think one of the things that I notice a lot within the industry that I, I'll be interested to see how the next 10 years goes is I think in the past 10 years, um, we've seen a lot of, um, homogenization of the industry. Um, and so kind of what I think about when I look about, when I think about what, I would like to see the next 10 years look like. Um, I'd like to see some diversity. Um, and of course the diversity is all out there. It's, it's very nuanced. It might be more, not, not as in your face, but I, but I do 
feel myself stopping and thinking about when I go into a bottle shop or I go to see like a, or I go into a bar and I see the draft list and it's like, what am I seeing that I haven't seen before? Or what am I seeing at a beer festival that I haven't seen before? Um, a series of live podcasts is pretty cool. I don't feel like I see that a, a ton. Yeah, but, um, DC beer. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I think about, I, I think about diversification a lot and over the course of the next 10 years, marrying that with your target audience that, that you want to keep happy and, and bring back on board uh, initially, you know, young, young beer consumers. But um, yeah, I, I think what I'm looking for is where, where can I go to find something that I haven't seen before? And as time goes on, I personally find it harder and harder to find. Yeah. Well, okay, so this point here dovetails us perfectly into what was going to be my next question, so thank you for that. Um, but basically, as we move into this conversation, right, so I, I uh, maybe naively titled this, what are your hopes and dreams for the American craft beer <laughs> industry as a whole, right? Um, like, we can definitely tackle that in the next 30 minutes. Um, but let's start with the actual juice, right? What do you want to see in the glass moving forward? I know that you had mentioned, you know, diversity in general, but look, this has been an industry for the past couple of years utterly dominated by IPAs, hazy, triple, imperial, and otherwise, um, as well as a decent amount of sours and adjunct beers. You know, moving forward, considering that, you know, I'm assuming that most of your profits are based in that IPA world, what do you want to see, style-wise? Yeah, <clears throat> um, I think there's two sides to that question. I mean, you could ideally, what do you want to see, and then what to actually really expect? Yeah, I mean, because it does boil down to a lot of the styles that we would love to produce and offer all the time. We literally cannot afford to do it. No, um, and and I think that's. I think that that diversity gets filled by the different scale of, of breweries that exist in the industry. You know, like the smaller you are, the easier it is to do these things in smaller batches. Um, you know, I think for me, I the older I get, the more I drink, the, the the lower ABV I want, like the cleaner the beer I want. I still have that same appreciation for hoppy beers, and we spend probably more energy than we ever have on you know sourcing those ingredients and dialing in those recipes and and making sure they're consistent. Um, you know, for me, it's not just like what I want to see on the draft lines. It's like, what I want to, what, what do I want to experience when I go to get the beer too? You know, it's, it's, I think that people are going to these breweries and growing these tap rooms. That's what's getting more interesting to me. You know, and you see like guys like, you know, like, like Schilling, like they're, what they're doing up there, you know, that, that experience is crazy. I mean, I, Bissell's probably one of the best pioneers of experience and sort of like, making when you walk into their shop you know exactly where you are and it's not like any other shop and i think more people we, we all need to like sort of put that same energy into f making the space feel feel different because that will change your experience with the beer as well you know yeah, same with food like place yeah exactly and if you're in a good mood and you're eating something it's going to taste better yeah. if you're in a shitty mood it's going to taste like shit so you know you gotta you gotta create that energy so that, that's sort of what i want to see is that enthusiasm across the board from everybody. Yeah. Um, we, we've always kind of 
try to present a pretty diverse portfolio lineup. When we opened up, the, the state laws of Georgia really shaped how we approached doing business. Um, it wasn't until 2017 that we could actually sell a beer directly to a consumer. So we had to open up and play the distribution game. And so that's been a large focus of our brewery and our growth over the years. And with that, we certainly have um, like our, our flagship beer, if you would call it that, is uh, Tropicalia. It's, a, it's still our number one seller. That beer hasn't changed in any principal matter in 10 years. Um, we just try to keep making it better. But it's, it's funny. When we first opened up, it was kind of a softer IPA. And now people call it a West Coast IPA. Um, you know, the, the industry has just kind of turned around it. But it's still um, a big beer for us. But then we are also trying to support growth in that world by, um, like, making classic, like, lager beers. And we make all sorts of things. And... Um, also try to reach our consumers in a capacity that uh, people want to be able to experience different styles. And we really like being able to make a lot of different styles. So we do a lot of classics through kind of our limited release program. All that to be said is, you know, as I was saying before, we, we try to have a way where people can come together over beer. And through that, you know, we want to facilitate the occasions for people to do that, regardless of what kind of beer they like to drink. Um, and uh, so we, we, we certainly just try to listen to what our consumers want to drink and play in that world. Um, and, you know, we might jump on experience-driven places that, you know, we, we make like English Cascales now. Um, and luckily we have a couple of bars where we can, you know, sell that. And people are really into it. And it's certainly not a huge volume of what we do by any means. But it's just fun for us to be able to play in that world and then... Um, you know, also be able to go to, you know, a, a, a you know a, a football stadium and have a Tropicalia, you know, things like that where we can drop in those different experiences. So I think um, that will continue to happen. I think, um, as Matt said, I think the general population of people want to be able to have uh, reliable beer. They're going to spend their hard-earned money on it. They want it to be good every time. Um, and then, you know, trying to figure out, you know, I'm, we're always looking at how do we make our beer keep tasting longer or better longer. You know, that's a... The biggest thing is you continue to do more distribution, your beer gets out there, you want to make sure people have a good experience with it. So it's always trying to kind of keep an eye on the distribution footprint, the channels, making sure that your beer is well taken care of. Um, yeah, and so that's, that's kind of where we're focusing on. I kind of got away from where I want beer to go in 10 years, but I think what I am loosely summing up is that we want to be able to represent what people want to drink in our area predominantly right now in Georgia, but in the Southeast in general, and just meet them and give them good, good beers for experiences they want to have. I, um, I think if you asked that question even a couple years ago, the, the easy answer I'd, I would probably have gone with would be like, well, I just want to see more lagers. Um, I think compared still to IPAs, you know, they're still kind of a drop in the bucket. I'm sure I don't, certainly couldn't tell you what the percentage market share craft loggers has out there, but uh, got to imagine it's experiencing some version of a renaissance. Um, but I mean, we have we have a pilsner that even a few years ago was was sort of like this. Maybe we did it a few times a year. Maybe we would do a Hellas. Um, you know, maybe we would do. Uh, like a Keller beer, it would there would always be something, but we didn't have a flagship um, lager. Right now, for us, it's our Pilsner, um, and I I see it over time just getting um, uh, just a, more and more attention. 
which I don't think is unique to us. I think that's sort of where we're all at. I think all of us that are brewing any amount of lagers with some amount of like regularity, we're seeing more response from the consumer. So I, it gives me it gives me hope for the lager. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I I'd say that's a style. That's that's probably what I'd like to see more of because I do think that a lot of consumers are now kind of doing that full circle thing where they're drinking what they were drinking for the very first time and I would have just about imagined the vast majority of us were drinking lager right out the gate so for those of us that have been drinking for 20 30 40 years it's like yeah I think we're I think we're going back to what what we know and taking that and uh, I mean ultimately making it better and that's very subjective but whatever our version of better is um, but I think also I I think like and I, I I'd like to think that we're also kind of moving back into a direction where um, you know breweries are putting out beers that are that are just um, I mean get creative flex away on styles and varieties and keep tweaking recipes but I do like core brands um, I, I'd like to think that we're moving back into a pattern of offering core brands. And that's not to say, like, this is the red, this is the stout, this is the pale ale, this is the pilsner. Um, you know, I, I, come, I'm, I am hardwired to, to feel like that, that's the approach. Um, a, a greatly in part because that's how you get consumers to engage with the, with the brand because they've they see it again, and they see it again, they see it again. They know it's there. Every time that they that they come in, there's going to be at least a half dozen beers that they see every time. And then those beers also objectively just get better because we make them either every other week or every three weeks. Or, I mean, we our flagship substance, we do multiple turns a week. That's about 60% of our total production. Um, and that works for us. I mean, not to say that I wouldn't, like, I, I'm not gonna presume to know that it's that would work that way for everybody, but I do have a very sort of, um, you know, and I think it's hardwired just desire to see that that approach, kind of, kind of come around again, uh, where it's just, you know, br- core brands that you can lean into from a production standpoint and from like a consumer um, uh, kind of recognition standpoint. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, if you look at the beers that, you know, get ordered again and again and again, you know, when I was at when I was at uh, Church Key, the beers that we always had on draft, no matter what, Schlafly Kolsch, Two Hearted, and usually Allagash White, right? So it was just one of those things where you needed to have those three at least, and they just sold like absolutely crazy. So speaking of styles, uh, actually something that I personally want to see more of is non-alcoholic beers because from an overall beverage perspective and when you look at cocktail trends as well this isn't something that's going anywhere more and more people are demanding non-alcoholic options and non-alcoholic options that give you the same if not more exciting experience uh, than their leaded counterparts right so you know, a couple of you have mentioned kind of building out that like overall experience for the guest in your space. You know, one of those things is offering, you know, a decent amount of selection for people who maybe can't drink or maybe want to 
you know, pump the brakes on drinking for a little bit. Um, you know, I'll give you an example. Last year I was pregnant. I went to a brewery. The only option they had non-alcoholic was tap water or Mexican Coke. And I was like, man, awesome. <laughs> so, you know, I was only there for one drink and then that was it. Had there been literally anything else, I probably would have stayed longer, right? So I know that non-alcoholic beer is a, is a little bit of an uphill battle from a regulatory standpoint, from a production standpoint, but what are you all finding? We, we, we make non-alcoholic beer for our tap rooms on draft. Um, actually, from a regulatory standpoint, it, it is probably the easiest thing to sell. Yep, and across sorry, straight listeners, lines this is, and, this is and, other and, half. Sorry. It, right, but it, um, <laughs> it is uh, logistically a very difficult product to make and sell yep. and, and put on a shelf because the equipment you need to pasteurize it is very expensive. Um, and most breweries do not have the bandwidth financially to invest in that infrastructure. So you're going to see it. That's why you're seeing the immense growth in like athletic. That's why you're seeing it from Hoplark and, and people like that who are, aren't even doing like, you know, low fermentation beers. They're doing hop, hopped seltzers and things mm -hmm. like that. Um, but you know, we're, we do a non-alcoholic beer. We are push We are going to end up getting pasteurization, uh, in the brewery, but we're also pushing on the you know the the, the cannabis side of things as well um, with those seltzers. So Delta Nine products, um, you know things that are still legal to have in the tap room, state by state, yeah. but is an alternative to having having a beer. Um, but still, you can still enjoy it socially the same way you can, uh, you know, a beer. Yeah, you guys are making THC uh, like. Liquid, yes, that's amazing. Yeah, yeah. I so that, that you'll see that soon. But cool. yeah, it's in a twelve ounce sleek formats. You know, from two milligram to ten milligram. Um, you know, it onsets like five minutes, and it's out of your system in under three hours. Really? Yeah. So oh, that's cool. awesome. Yeah. So that's amazing. Uh, I'll just echo Matt. Um, a creature we. We're, we're not making non-alcoholic beer. We try to offer some non-alcoholic things in our tasting room, but yeah. majority of our business is distribution business and we don't distribute any non-alcoholic products. And it's simply comes down to basically what Matt's saying. If you want to get in, you're, you're starting the conversation in a million dollars. And for us, that kind of capital investment, um, right now we're choosing to put that kind of stuff into the businesses we have going on like our biggest investment this year was uh into a packaging upgrade um and our canning line that made it uh better and more reliable for our people to be able to package our products easier um and that seems to be for us right now where we want to put our money over kind of a stepping into a new world if that makes any sense you know we don't want to um, ignore growth opportunities, but also need to make sure that what you're doing already is working um, before we jump. And so that's a that's a pretty big investment, a pretty big step. Um, I agree with you that there seems to be more options out there and more demand for it, and that's great. But um, yeah, right now it's it's not something we are pursuing. Doesn't mean never. We never say never. No. But not yet. No, it's totally fair. It's really hard to make well, too. No, no. Even that's, if you're doing draft, like, it took us a very long time 
yeah you know months and months and months of r&d on it to get something where we're like all right that's good yeah and that's a lot of bandwidth and you have no. to have the bandwidth and the personnel and the time and the money and even to make something that's not pasteurized so yeah. it's like and i feel like there's i mean i've seen a couple of brands where they kind of scramble right to, to jump on a trend and you're like oh cool this tastes like shit you know and that's a lot of money that's a lot of time right to kind of scramble onto something so you know the 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 people that are really taking the time and and putting in the effort um and and even not just non-alcoholic beer like hop seltzers like lagunitas hoppy refresher i could so good demolish that all day long for sure um so it's it's definitely um yeah i'd love to see the budget on that product you know the, the the developmental budget it was must have been insane yeah, I can I can only imagine. Uh, Josh, what about you? With uh, what is your take on non-alcoholic beers? Um, we, I'm sure, like most breweries, have definitely gone through the, the motions of trying to figure out what uh, the best approach was going to be there. Uh, for us, we are we are approaching um, hop like hoppy seltzer. Um, right now, no adjunct, just just hops, carbonated Sebago Lake water. Um, it's it's an R and D at the moment. I personally think it's tasting great, uh, but the brand rollout will probably be in a couple months. But it just like everyone else, the option it's just so important to have the option uh, to have something to drink that is not that doesn't have alcohol in it. Um, you know, like Matt was saying, like coming to Bissell is is a is a bit of an experience. It's not a bit. It's, it's a total experience. And you're only limiting how many people can have an experience if you're only going to offer them alcohol. And the older we get, the more people are going to just say, "I just can't drink anymore." Um, I think that's a I think that's a big part of the industry too. Right now, it's it's sort of managing that that um, those sustainable drinking habits. Uh, I want to keep drinking. I want to keep drinking beer. I really like beer. I like these people that are making that beer, but. I'm 45 years old and I can't keep doing this anymore. My body hates me. Um, so it's like we want to keep bringing people in. Yeah. We gotta. If it, but at the same time, responsibly, we gotta be able to give them something beyond alcohol. Yeah. Um, well, hey, once you know that, once you know that uh, hop seltzer that makes for an excellent cocktail mixer, just take it, take it right back to the there. There it there is. There she is. There it is. Hell yeah. Um, so you know, kind of thinking about. We're going to keep on this. Your hopes and dreams for the American craft beer industry. Uh, we were talking a little bit at the top of the show about the experience that you want for your guests. Um, if you were in the process of consulting, say, for like a, a new brewery that's opening up or maybe a brewery that's only been open for a couple of years, what advice would you give them kind of moving forward about crafting an experience for their guest in that space? Why don't we, why don't we start with you, Blake? Yeah, we're kind of uh, doing this a little bit. So um, we wanted to see more diversity in our neck of the woods. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we started a program this year as a brewery and residency program where um, we met some folks who are a brewery that are hoping to get up and open. They're a brewery called Our Culture. And our, our, the idea here was kind of twofold was one is we wanted to be able to help a brewery that like we got so much help when we were opening, um, but we wanted to pay that forward to people who don't necessarily have an easy track and entry into the beer world because they don't look the same or they think the same or come from the same place. Um, and we became great friends with these guys and um, 
and started this whole year. And the way we've been really helping them out is from, and I think where I think a lot of help can be in the world of opening up breweries in America is kind of like the business side of structure, professionalism. Um, what are your values? What is your purpose? What is your mission? What is your you know, operating statement going to look like? What are you going to try to do? How are you going to reach your consumers? And being able to pass that education on of how to think about operating that business then allows people to figure out the, the why behind the how and make up their own how. And so um, that's something we wanted to pay forward. And um, we just brewed our collaboration beer that's kind of like a part of the summary of the residency um, last week. And we'll be doing some release events with them. And then we're hoping to put together a playbook for our Georgia Brewers Guild so that more breweries can take this idea of passing the torch off to other folks. Um, And I think once folks figure out how to run their business, then they can figure out how they want to make great events for their consumers. And man, the rain just kicked up. I feel yeah, bad for those folks out there. <laughs> we are we are very grateful to be in the, the DC beer podcast tent here <laughs> to catch you some shelter. Matt, what about you? What do you what would you give as advice to kind of crafting a guest experience? You know, I mean this is also something that you are working with as you open up new spaces and, you know, kind of have that push towards endless reinvention. Um, <clears throat> I, I, I totally agree with Blake and a lot of that in, intentionality. Like you, you, you need to know what you're actually trying to achieve. Like out of the gate, what do you, what do you want your business to be? And, you know, when we started, we could, we just wanted to drink better beer. And so, you know, we were able to run on a bit of momentum based around enthusiasm and passion. And that sort of translated into interactions with guests in our own spaces and sort of we built our ethos around that and, and just making sure you felt seen, heard. Uh, you, there was someone you could talk about what you're drinking with. Uh, you know, the, the bartenders are, are glad to see you. They're, they're interested. They're, they have the time and patience to explain. Um, I think these days in, it's because it's so much more competitive that you need to be way more intentional um, with, with on the onset, like right out of the gate. Yeah. No, I mean, we were talking at the top of the show where, you know, You've got almost 9,000 breweries now, right? Before yeah. Prohibition in the late 1800s, we hit our peak of breweries. It was only, what, 4,900? So we've got... The, the, the market is completely saturated, and everyone, for the most part, is making decent beer. So, you know, you're right. Yeah, you know, and, and our, our projects, like, again, are pushing not to make more beer. Our projects are, you know, we're building a, a full-on restaurant and cafe in Buffalo, mm-hmm. like, to, to take over from the pop-up spot we have there. And that's just so that you can come and, you know, we're doing, we're doing not just beer anymore. We have a whole wine line. We have coffee. Uh, we're doing the, the seltzers. Like, it's just, it's not about getting more beer on more shelves. It's like putting yourself into the communities where you do business, integrating into those communities and listening to what those people who live there want yeah. from a business. You know, and you, you, you really need to be have your ear to the ground and, and paying attention to what people want. Um, it's, it's not about what it's not as much about what you want anymore as it is about making sure you're taking care of the people that are going to pay your bills. Yeah. And, and giving yourself so you can sit back at night and say, OK, I've got I've got another five to ten years of runway, you know, and I think just staying relevant means being literally integrated into your local communities yeah. period 
um, or you're you know you you're not going to be around that long. Hundred percent, Josh. What about you? Yeah, I think um, identify your mission, and that should, you know, in theory, um, allow you to operate from a place of intention. Uh, be very, be very confident in what you're what you're trying to accomplish, but like identify what you're trying to accomplish, and 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 to be a steward. Um, it shouldn't it shouldn't have to be people's job. To, you know, to be a steward for the industry at large, but it's it's gonna. I mean, those are the type of things that do come around and they and they create longevity. That's that's how you leave your thumbprint in the community you're trying to serve. And I'd 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 I would about imagine that most people go out with the intention to try to make an impact on their community. Um, so yeah, I I it's. It, I, that's obviously a, a pretty broad question because yeah. I think that everyone, we all, like the three of us all operate in such different environments. So the things that drive us and our, our intentions and our goals, I mean, it, some, of them, some of them are obviously going to link up, but it's, it's also so dependent upon the community you're trying to serve. A brew pub in a town of 500 people is not going to have the same intentional approach that that Matt's gonna have with a bunch of locations spanning like four different states and and more rural and suburban areas and urban areas and it's it's um so it's it's um we're all out here trying to do different things but I think we're all, we're all trying to like intentionally leave our mark in the communities that we're serving and you yeah. know I'd like to th- I, I you know through ro- rose colored lenses that's what I like to think that new breweries are going to be thinking first and foremost is like how how do i make this community a better place just because now there's a brewery down the street yeah right and i mean look without trying to sound too like beer fangirly i am honored to be speaking to all three of you and that you represent breweries that really really do a lot of good and make a lot of impact in your communities no matter where you are um and i think you know moving forward if anything that that should really be the takeaway for people um you know kind of setting out as really responsible business owners um so thank you for all the contributions that you all have made. thank you yeah. thank you for that yeah so as we're wrapping up here a little bit um, I think we have some time for some uh, frivolous conversation, right? Let's go. Yeah, we got really deep, right? No floaties, and we got really, really deep. <laughs> so um, we're here at Snallagaster. You all are serving some exceptional beers. I am particularly excited. Um, how do you pronounce this, Matt? The Chunkable? Chunkable? Chunkable. Chunkable. You want to try it? I have a can of it. Of course. <laughs> It is a rum barrel aged fruited sour with orange, mandarin, passion fruit. I mean, it's um, it sounds amazing. And then we got a feast beer from Bissell Brothers. Oak uh, from fe- fest, fest beer. beer fest yeah. beer. Feast beer. Feast beer. <laughs> um, so, and I mean, basically anything from Creature Comforts, I'm really stoked to drink. But aside from your beers, what are you all excited to be drinking today? Hmm. What's What's a brewery? And please... Don't don't do the, like the little coy brewery answer. Like I don't want to name names. Like name some names of like specific breweries that you're just stoked to drink no matter what. Well, I already I already crushed this can of Hellas from other half here that Matt brought us. That was delicious. Yeah. Um, there's a it's well 
I mean, I'll name names, but one thing that's cool about this festival, I think this is the best big festival uh, because there's so many good breweries here yeah. that it's harder to find a beer that you don't want to drink than it is to find a beer you do want to drink. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, what do you guys think? Can't, can't just... Just give me a, just literally just name what name one. Uh, um, I saw I saw I shared tent with Shonram, which is cool. We don't get them distributed in Atlanta, oh, and um, that's a great brewery from Germany. Yeah. Um, and then um, I also just passed, walked by, and I saw Suarez is out here. Yeah. And I never see his beer enough, so. Yeah, like I never. It's hard for me to find scratch breweries uh, from Illinois. And they do a lot of the forged They're magic. And stuff. Yeah, yeah, they are actual, I would say, like, wood nymphs. Right? <laughs> yes, could, that's correct. That's as, correct. As brewers. Matt, what about you? I, don't, I mean, I, 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 need to get, I need to walk around, honestly. Like, I, I try to, like, not premeditate where I'm going and yeah. stuff. But, um, you know, like, last year I discovered, like, Zool's beer out of Knoxville. And they were at the Beer Discovery tent. And it was awesome. Um and honestly, I need, I need I need to walk because yeah, I've commandeered the first hour of Snally for you guys. I'm thank you. <laughs> yeah, man, I might, I might, I'm gonna go and drink some keeping together over there for sure. Um, and uh, but yeah, no, th- you you can't really go wrong, and that hasn't really been true. And you know, five six years ago, now it's like everywhere you go, it's like yeah. oh, I'm stoked. Like you're gonna find something you've never heard of and drink it. Awesome. Yeah, and I did not do a very good job of actually scoping out, seeing who's here, what they're pouring. But uh, shameless plug for our host. Uh, I'd about imagine Blue Jacket is the is the localist brewery of the bunch around here. So that alone should suggest that it's the freshest and quite possibly the best. I had a Pilsner yesterday at Blue Jacket that was something to behold. What yeah. was it? I missed it. Uh, I think it's called Self-Portrait. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just rippingly bitter in such a great way, and it's what I want Pilsners to be a lot of times. So, Hell yeah. Well, for you listeners that are in the rain right now, Blue Jacket has a can tent. Let's, let's just plug them away, right? You know? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, gentlemen, thank you so much. Um, like I said, I, I commandeered your first hour of Snallagaster, so I greatly, greatly appreciate it. But... Cheers and massive congratulations to your 10-year celebrations. Hopefully you party too hard. Uh, Listeners, this has been another episode of Beer Me Radio. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, feel free to reach out at Beer Me Radio or beermeradio at gmail.com. We are part of the All About Beer family. Please check out All About Beer for many, many exciting podcasts, and we will catch you next time. Cheers. Thank you, guys. Cheers. Thank you.